Good morning. We are in the back half of Daniel, part two of our study in this great book. Back half has a lot of prophecy in it, so a lot of exciting things to talk about as we go through this. Now, as a way of introduction today, I wanted to read to you a verse. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit into chapter nine and give you what the heart and spirit of Daniel is like during all of this. It's verse 19 of chapter nine, and this is what Daniel says. He says, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. And I'm giving you a little snippet there of what's going on in Daniel. Because remember that the first six chapters covered his whole life. He's a teenager, a late teen in chapter one, the lion's den, chapter six, he's an old man. And now in the, the back half of the book, he's, he's recorded his history and now he's going to give us some of the visions and dreams that God gave him and share to us. But now you're getting to see why they came. Why the visions and dreams came to him? Because he was distraught about his people. They are a nation that wears his name. Just like you wear the name Christian. And somebody says, I know they're a Christian. And you go and however you act and what you do and who you are, is you say something about that name. I'm a coach. I talk about this. And the team that you play for, they put that, that name of that team on that jersey. And when you take the field and you play and you're, you're saying something about what we believe in as a team that represents this school. And Daniel is saying in chapter 9, don't you know we are the, the, the children of the God in the universe, the king of the universe? And we are a subjugated, captivated, ca- captive people. We're, we're, it's like we're in prison. We, you defeated us. You brought us into exile. Is this your plan? And Daniel knows. He knows what has been promised to the nation of Israel. He's read the, the writings, the promises given to David and Abraham. And, and, and there's supposed to be a king that comes that sits on the throne forever that rules over their nation. But yet they're an enslaved people. And so he's so distraught and he's praying in chapter 9. And that's a little, little section of it that I just gave you there. And that can relate to today in our message because we right now often feel distraught about what we see going on in the world. We feel stress and pressure. And here on Guam, it's an election year. And we see the, the signs and the posters and the billboards are going up and the faces are there. And they're saying, I'm going to do this for you and vote for me. And I'm a leader for change. And I'm a leader that will represent you. And, and this whole chapter is about leaders, rising leaders that will rule over the world. And we go in to, to take a look at this. And I know that there are a lot of Christians that are stressed out about things that they see in the world and changes that they see, and we relate it to the leaders. And Daniel has a message for us about that. Last week, we were focused on um, looking at two, two screens. The, the top screen was heaven. The bottom screen was, was uh, what, what we see on earth. Well, Daniel saw the rise of all these different kings. Now, today we're going to talk about a king, and I titled it the Lion King, but not 
the kind of lion you think about. I mean, we used animals last week, you know, and we talk about the lion, you know, like Jesus is the lion of Judah. This king is a liar. He's a deceiver. And this is a king, and there's actually one particular lie that's a whopper that really does God's people in. And we're going to get to that in Daniel, but that's why I have it spelled that way, the lion king, all right? Now, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Remember Daniel was talking about the sea, the sea of humanity, and out of that rose different kingdoms in succession in time. And he gave us all of that. And each kingdom he saw was represented in an animal, right? So now, um, as he was looking at that, then he would look up, see the Ancient of Days, be, oh, you know, there's a God in heaven. Look back on earth, stressed out about what's going on on earth. Then look back up, oh, there's Jesus Christ. And that was the point of last week. And that's where we're picking up. He's going to continue on with this, this interacting with this vision in verse 15 of chapter 7. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. So the first thing that I wanted to say is the impact of prophecy on us. And the first thing we see is that we are physically alarmed. When we read about the things that are going to happen in the future, they're alarming. They can be stressful and it has a physical effect on Daniel. He's seeing them. He says, he was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. He's anxious and alarmed. And that's why there's this balance of what we see that's going to happen, what's coming, but yet the balance is God's always going to give us the end. And as we go through this, he's going to keep doing that. We're going to see something alarming that he's going to give us, but here's how it ends. Something alarming, but here's how it ends. Because as Christians, we're to focus on how it ends. Now, this is the effect of, uh, of looking at prophecy, but not only is it physically alarming, it f- affects us physically, but we're also mentally informed. It's mentally informative. So, so we're informed. My next point is that we are informed. Our understanding is informed because you're, you are getting to see what's going to happen. And so he says, I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. And so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. So he's already given a description of what he saw. We looked at that last week. And now he wants to know greater specificity. I got to know more. And there's someone that's there and he's going to go and and, and ask them about the interpretation. So he's being informed. He's informed in two ways as he's writing this. He's informed because he asks questions and then an answer comes and he writes it. But he also writes down things that he sees and observes. Okay. But nonetheless, this is what we get. Prophecy can be alarming, but it's informative and in fact, let me, let me just tell you the first thing he says as an answer in verse 17. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. Okay, so I gave you that last week. I told you that's what they were. Each beast that came up, the first was the lion with the wings. That was representative of Babylon. Okay, the second was a bear. That was the Mede and the Persian Empire that overthrew the Babylonians. The third was a, was a, a, a leopard with four wings and four heads, and that is Greece. And then there was this fourth. In fact, it was, it was different, so different he couldn't give it an animal name. 
But um, each one of these, as I told you, interweave with other parts uh, of Daniel because the lion with wings was also the head of gold. And Daniel said, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are that head of gold. There's the identity. That's king number one. Mede and Persians, we saw it was the bear, but in the statue, it was the chest and arms of silver. In the next chapter, it's going to be a ram with two horns, okay? But uh, Darius was the king that arose out of that. Then Greece is the third. He's the leopard with the wings, right? But he's the thighs and legs of bronze, uh, uh, or thighs of bronze, not the legs. And that's Greece. That's going to be Alexander the Great. But the Remember we said last week, we're not sure really the identity of the fourth. Now, in the book of Daniel, he names by name the first three, Babylon, Mede and Persian, and Greece. You'll see Greece in next week in the chapter. But never does he say the name of the fourth kingdom. And that's why there's a little bit of mystery to that. And last week I told you the story about driving to that great mountain with my children. And then we got there, we thought that was the mountain, but then the road curved around the mountain, and then we realized the real mountain was behind it. We couldn't see it because we were in such close proximity to this one. And that, the real mountain was behind it. And prophecy works like that. Because the, the understanding is that the next empire that rose was Rome. And many people feel that was it, but some of prophecy doesn't fit with Rome, and it was never conquered like the others. It just died from the inside. And when we get to the end, we see a centralization of 10 kingdoms in the vicinity of Rome, and that's what the feeling is. But we don't know the exact identity of what this fourth kingdom is. It's off in the horizon, okay? So... He gave us these four kingdoms. He described it as a different beast. Different. So I think my next slide shows the difference. This was last week. There's, the, there's heaven up top. That was the top screen where we saw the Ancient of Days. And, the, and then the bottom screen was all about the earth and the kingdoms of man. And you got the three beasts there. The dragon is on the right. But uh, dragon, the, I used another picture. We're not, it's... He doesn't say dragon, but it's just this creature. You know, Daniel doesn't know. He just says it's different. It was different from all the other beasts. But then look what he, look what he gets in the next verse. It says, so after these beasts rose out of the earth, verse 18, but the saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Do you remember I told you that's what he's going to do? He's going to alarming prophecy, but then bring us back to, but here's the end. And he just gave you the end right there. What's the end? Ancient of days. The saints inherit the kingdom. Oh, and by the way, all these other kingdoms get conquered, but not his. It will be, look, it's like triple emphasis. Forever, forever, and ever. That's the kingdom that we as the saints inherit. So I put here the last point, which is the next point on my slide, is that it's spiritually reassuring. So the impact of prophecy, we're physically alarmed by it, but we're, our understanding is informed, but ultimately it's to reassure us. The God in heaven who can see the timeline from beginning to end knows and is sovereign over it and gives it to us to, to tell us that in the end, 
you win. In the end, you're with me in a kingdom that's forever. And that's the purpose of prophecy. But we are inquisitive people, right? We want to know more facts. Daniel's going to dig around a little more. I put, uh, my second point is just the inquisitive nature of man. We want to know more about prophecy. Who, if if it's not Rome, then who, who is this next kingdom that's going to rise up, right? So Daniel's going to ask some more questions. Look what he does in verse 19. He says, then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest. There he is again saying it's different, right? Now I just put up here what I'm going to read to you. This fourth beast, which is a kingdom and it's representative of its king, is exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron, its claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell. So what I have there. Okay, so let me stop there because I'm just giving you the description of this kingdom. It's exceedingly terrifying. Unlike any other tyrannical empire that's ever existed in the face of, of, of mankind. I mean, you take the worst of communism, of Pal Pot, of, of Hitler in Nazi Germany, and they don't overtake it in its uh, terrifying nature, in its cruelty, in the evil that's weaved into it. And we're going to see part of the reason why is because of the leader. The other animals are all natural. I mean, they might be weird, like they've got four wings in their description, but they don't have, they're not like cyborgs. This one is like a descriptive where we're taking metal and merging it into the animal to, to emphasize its fierceness. The teeth of iron, stronger than the teeth of other animals, obviously, that he, he gave us. Claws of bronze, stamped out whatever's left on the earth, it's a kingdom of ten. Now that's important because we saw in the statue the last kingdom had ten toes. And then when we get to the book of Revelation and other places, you're going to see how all these prophetic things come together. But it's a kingdom of ten and the emphasis on his leader. And the leader is this little horn that comes up out of the ten horns. So the ten horns, each horn represents one of these nations, ten horns. It's a power, just like the Mede and the Persian was two. It was two arms, and it signified, it took two of them to, to be a force. This is going to be ten. It's going to take ten that come together to be a force, to be this dominant force on earth. But now, he asked about the last kingdom, but now we're going to get something about that last leader, that, that the leader of that kingdom, because the emphasis on this horn and about the, the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up be, and before which three of them fell and the horn had eyes and a mouth and spoke great things and seemed greater than its companions. Now, if I go back to last week, if you weren't here, he talked about this horn. I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little horn, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots and behold, in his horn, were, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. And Daniel's giving us descriptions of what this leader is going to be like. First of all, he rises up out of the ten, he comes out of those ten, ten kingdom, the ten kingdom nation. He comes out of that. And his ascendancy coincides with the downfall of three of them. Three of them 
are put down for him to come into power. Okay? It says he had eyes and a mouth. It's describing a, a person, a man, this leader. And the mouth, the emphasis is that he spoke great things. He was an orator. In fact, he was so good that back last week in the first part of chapter 7, Daniel was so focused on these kingdoms on the bottom screen, then suddenly he looked up in the top screen and he saw the Ancient of Days sitting on his throne and he was suddenly captivated and reassured by the God of the universe who's there. And suddenly something drew his attention away. It had to be pretty good to take your eyes off the Ancient of Days in heaven. And Daniel says what it was. He says, I, I looked... Then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, his attention is turned away from the Ancient of Days to look back down on what's going on. This little horn, this, this human leader that rises up is a great orator. And you don't have to be good to be a good orator. I always think back of pictures and videos I've seen of Hitler in Germany, you, you, I know you've seen him where he's standing up there pounding on the pulpit and he's speaking and he's just got energy and he's charismatic and he's drawing the whole nation of Germany to follow after him in two evil plans. The liquidation of people groups. We're going to follow you. Well, that's a pretty good orator, what he does, to convince them that the, this path is the right path. This is the kind of orator that he is. And by comparison, he was greater than the others. And he goes on to say that he makes war against the saints. I don't know if I got to that. As I looked, in verse 21, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Until, now remember what I, what I tell you he's going to do. Alarming, alarming. There's going to be a future leader worse than Hitler who's going to rise up. And then look what he does. Until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. He takes you back to the end again. What's one of the purposes of prophecy? To reassure you about how it all ends. So he's given you information, it's alarming, but then he brings you back and says, this guy's going to rise up, it's going to be bad, but his time will be over because the Ancient of Days is going to show up, and you, the saints, get the kingdom. You're going to rule. And there's a reassurance that goes back to Daniel. So, <clears throat> that was my third point. If you're tracking with me on the slides, so he asked about the last leader, but then the last thing we get there is reassurance again, spiritual reassurance. Are you with me? I'm just going to keep moving on. But that's what he does in verse 22. The ancient of days came, and the saints are going to possess the kingdom. So, what I'm going to do now is, we're going to talk about the identity of who this little horn is. And so I put this slide up to remind you, this, the whole chapter is set up this way. He keeps taking you back to the top screen. The purpose of prophecy is to remember there's the Ancient of Days who sits on the throne. He's sovereign over everything. He's in control. He can't be dethroned. And in the end, the saints win. But when we look at the bottom screen, earth, we look at what's going on in all these kingdoms of men, it's very troubling. This last Gentile king, the lion king, there I put it in right there, he's the lion king. This guy, who is he? And so my last slide, my last point is, who is this little horn? Who is he? Do we know the identity? 
And what I'm going to do is show you some of the descriptions. We're going to unpack them a little bit more about who this little horn is, this leader that rises up this earthly kingdom. And the first point that I make is that he's a leader with high charismatic quality. Okay, so um, as I look through this, we see verse 8, he speaks great things. Some translations use the word pompous. I've already described his oratorical power. In verse 20, we see uh, his appearance, it says, is greater than the other horns, the other fellows that are there. And I kind of dug around on that, that this word means abundant in size or rank. He's a man of high rank or of impressive appearance. He's the kind of guy, when he walks in the room, you notice him. And there are other leaders like that in the Bible. Saul, King Saul was described as he was very tall in stature and very handsome. He was a guy when he walked in the room, he went, oh, you know, that this is the kind of guy he is. And also, it takes a lot of confidence to take on the Most High because we see in verse 25, he shall speak words against the Most High. I'm going to come back to that but I want you to see right now, he's a leader with charismatic quality. He draws people to him. His noticeability, his charisma, his speaking. He's a guy that's going to be smooth. He's not a guy who fumbles through his words that gets the teleprompter wrong, that, that makes the news sometimes. Not thinking of anybody. Just, you know, we see politicians like that. And then we see politicians that are very good with their words, right? I mean, that's just the nature of politics. The second thing I want you to notice, he's a leader with political smarts because it says the three horns, three horns are plucked out. In order for him to rise up, he takes out three of the horns, three of the other leaders, three of the other kings. And that word plucked out, you look at what that means and it means this, to be squeezed out, to be cleverly replaced. So it's not as if it's like assassinated, now I got your spot. Somehow he works the political magic to, to, to make these three guys topple so that he can now come into place. In fact, I want to read to you later in the book of Daniel in chapter 11. This is the description of the little horn. It says he's a contemptible person to whom royal majesty, majesty has not been given he shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. It's another description of him. Now, throughout the Bible, he's not always called the little horn. He's called the Antichrist. He's called the beast. He's, there's, a, there's different names. Just like Jesus Christ has a lot of different names. At different parts of the Bible, they, they use different titles or names. And in Revelation, we see him as the Antichrist. In the book of Revelation, He's so good, he solves world problems. So he rises up in a way and he, he draws the world to him. And when you get to the book of Revelation, you have this, this uh, leader who merges the economy of the world in such a way that everybody becomes plugged into it. And so you see, not only is he a political genius, a great orator, but he can solve problems. Now, you might say, how does someone who's contemptible, as Daniel said, or even evil like Hitler, become into power? Don't we know 
where that's going to go. And this is the interesting thing. And I'm going to go back to Hitler because, you know, Hitler wrote his book and he talked about a lot of things he believed in. And you could see the evilness there. And during the COVID, I read this history of World War II called The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. And I was interested in that very question. How does someone evil come into power if the people can see that there's evil there? And one of the interesting things was political maneuvering. But there was another factor, and that is the, the terrible conditions economically of Germany after World War I. In, in, in 1919, at the end of World War I, the German dollar was 25 cents to the U.S. dollar. Four years later, I'm not kidding, it was like three trillion. Three trillion German dollars for one U.S. dollar. I mean, I, how do you even fathom that? I mean, just imagine if that was reversed and it's us and you travel to another country and you go into McDonald's and you go there, I want your dollar cheeseburger up there. And they had, that'll be $3 trillion, $3 trillion of your dollars for a cheeseburger. That's just to put it into perspective. They were, they, to buy a loaf of bread, they were dumping pounds, mounds of dollars in wheelbarrows to go to the grocery store. That was Germany. Sometimes the conditions are so bad, people, he came and he had solutions Hitler did. And this is the, the setting before the, this leader is going to come into power. That means there's going to come a time where it gets worse, where inflation hits us at a level where we be, the, the, the world becomes desperate for solutions. And it paves the way for this type of leader to rise up. Now, he's a leader with political smarts. He's a leader with influence for change. Because we read in verse 25, we already said, He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. Now that's an interesting phrase, to change the times and the law. There's going to be such a desperation that they're going to be open to solutions that change things radically. You know, that's why in Revelation you see some radical things where it's like a global economy where you can't be a part of it unless you bend the knee to that system. Um, one writer was speculating and said perhaps one of the things he does is he changes the calendar. You know, a direct kind of, kind of dig at the creator of the universe who all the way back in Genesis created the seven-day week with one day of rest. He could change the calendar or the, or the week in some way. It's speculation. Don't know, right? But what we see is he has enough influence to change laws and to change times. Now, Whatever he does, it's in the context of the two things that are said with it right there. Let me read it again. He shall speak words against the Most High and wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And that's really, that's my last point, which is as a leader who's going to cancel Christians. If you're a follower of Christ, he's going to wage war against you. It says he's going to wear them down. And what, what could that be? It could be... Again, it's going to be speculation, but if you're not part of that system, then you can't, you don't have the means to, to get the goods that you need to live. He's going to, he's going to put pressure. He could seize 
property and possessions. He could change laws in, in such a way. Hitler did that in World War II to the Jews. If you're a Jew, you can't own that property. I'm taking it from you. There's a way in which they can use that power and influence to put pressure on and to wear down those who want to be followers of Jesus Christ. And we see that not only does he wear him down, but his, the scope of this is global. Verse 23 says, the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. And there's a way in which he maneuvers that he breaks down the systems of the world. It's global. Its reach goes broad. And then he wears the saints down. And this is what Daniel's given us, right? Now, who is this leader, right? Well, I want to give you some other verses outside of Daniel. See, this is what Daniel, who is the little horn? Daniel's giving us some stuff here, right? But he's all over the Bible too. So I got a bonus slide. Who is the little horn bonus? I want to give you a few other verses. They go outside of the Bible because prophecy spreads out through scripture. Okay. So the first one I want to give you is this, and I'm going to read to you the verses that go with these. A man who precedes the return of Christ. Just like the first time that Jesus came, it said that There'll be a forerunner. His name was John the Baptist. He'll come and he'll prepare the way. So we know Jesus isn't coming until John the Baptist comes. And the way John and, and Paul write in the New Testament, it gives us this little hint that he will precede the return of Christ. And there's this interaction between Christ and him. So he's got to be alive at, at, in, in history and on the planet before Christ could ever come back. Now, let me take you to, to the passages for these. And the first one comes out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. And it says this, let, and, and by the way, in this that I'm reading you, Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, and they were worried that Jesus had already returned and they missed him. Some people were telling him that. So this is what he's writing about. No, he hasn't come back. He said, concerning the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Remember I said he has other names. There's the little horn. There's the antichrist. Here's two other names. The uh, um, man of lawlessness and the son of destruction, and then it gives us a little more, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So we know that he's got to come onto the scene before Christ comes back. Okay, there's one thing about him. Now let me give you number two. Number two is, not only is he a man who precedes Christ, he's a man whose influence is already here. And this is written in the New Testament time of the church. So physically, he may not be on the planet, but his influence goes all the way back to when the church first started. Because look what it says in 1 John 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 3. He says, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit 
of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So he's talking about the spirit of the Antichrist, and he's saying, you heard, it, you heard the Antichrist is coming, and the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. And in that verse, he says, look, there's only, this is what I, I say often from the pulpit, there's only two kinds of people in the world. There are people who confess Christ as the Son. We believe he came in the flesh, and he died and rose again. That's the spirit of the Lord. If you don't believe that, then you, what's in you is the spirit of the Antichrist. That's what John says. Only two kinds of people. And our job is to try to draw people over to become believers and put their faith in Christ. But that spirit that says, don't believe that, that spirit already exists, he says. In other words, it's like what he stands for, it already exists. It's working against the church. It's working against the people of the church. In the same way that the Antichrist we read in Daniel is going to set up something that's global, that has influence and, and wage war and weaken the saints, just think about this. If you're a Christian and you hold Judeo-Christian moral values and you go and live in that system, it's going to wage war against you. And that has already begun. There is a counter-morality that comes Ultimately from Satan, whose agent is the Antichrist. Now, let me keep building on this. A man whose influence is already here. And then my next point is a man whose influence is leading Christians out of the church. So this also comes out of 1 John <clears throat> chapter 2. And he says this. <clears throat> Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And he's saying there that the spirit, this influence, it comes into the church and it influences people and then they end up saying, you know what? That's not for me. I, at one point I did say, I, 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 I believe that Jesus came and, and this happened when Jesus was on earth. He went around and said who he was and some people believed and others said, I'm going to believe and then they followed him around and then one day Jesus said something they don't like and they said, I'm out. And there's verses that say, many departed from him that day because he said something that was too hard for them. And so you have the Spirit of Christ, which represents how God wants us to walk on this earth, a morality, if I could phrase it that way, and over here, the Spirit of the Antichrist that, that is um, permeating the earth and people and says, live a different way. Here's a different morality. Here's a different way to do it. And sometimes people come in and there's something that attracts them to the church. There's something that attracted them to Jesus. I got to go see this guy. I hear what he's doing, and sometimes people get drawn into the church, but then they hear a teaching that comes from the word of Christ, and they say, that's too hard for me. And John attributes that to the Antichrist. He's not physically, he may not physically yet be on earth, but the spirit of him, the influence of him started all the way back long ago and is leading people out. And what he says, what John says, if we have someone who's here, who's part of our church, and they look like they're one of us, and then one day they leave us, and he says that's the evidence that they never were really one of us. They were like those 
followers of Christ that were attracted to something, but they can't embrace him and all that he is. That's why Jesus said, only those, he said, I am the way, but you have to believe in all of who he is. He is our, not just our Savior, he is our Lord, our Lord and Savior. When Thomas finally believed, that's what he said, you, Lord and Savior. So I want to say too, he's a man, my next point is that he's a man whose influence is also being restrained. Now this is an interesting one. Let me read to you this. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. This is second, or second Thessalonians chapter 2. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing the appearance of his coming. Now, there's that interaction I was telling you. We know that, the, that this little horned guy has got to be on the planet leading because there's an interaction between him and Christ when he comes back. And he says that Christ is going to speak and it's going to kill him. I'm going to take you to that moment in Revelation in a second. But there's this other character I just read about you might have missed. And that character is referred to as a restrainer. So that spirit, I'm telling you, it's alive and it's influencing people, but it, it is not at its maximum capacity. Why? Because Paul says, only he who now restrains will do so until he's out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. We're not going to know who that the little horn is until this restrainer is removed out of the way. And I'm going to tell you who that is and talk about that in a future sermon. It's pretty interesting. Okay? But this is how all of Scripture kind of weaves together. Now, let me give you my last one. Revelation 19.20. I want to take you to the end. And <clears throat> this is now, now the Antichrist, he's being called the beast here. It says, and the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. That's right at the end. And that, this chapter, do you know what's going on? That What I just read? It's the end of a battle. I just gave you the end of a battle. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. And in this scene in Revelation, the Antichrist, this leader, the little horn, has gathered, he's mustered all the forces he has, he's going to stand against God, and then what happens is, John's watching it, he's being given the, the picture like Daniel is in his day, and John in his day sees it, and he says, the sky opens up, and there's a rider on the white horse, and this rider is the king, it's Jesus King Jesus, and he comes out of the sky, and as you read what happens, he defeats the forces. There's not even a fight, because he just speaks. I mean, the God of all creation, creation listens, and he has authority over it. Jesus said, part waters part, they part, right? Creation listens, and when he speaks, that's how he wins. We already saw in Thessalonians, where Paul said, he, when he comes back, he's going to speak and then destroy him. And in Revelation, we're seeing it right now. In real time of Revelation, there's the battle. The sky opens up. Jesus comes back. 
and he speaks. And it says at the end, what does he do? He throws him into the lake of fire. This little horn, this man, this person that becomes a global leader of the most tyrannical and evil kingdom empire nation ever will see his end at the return of Christ. Identity, who is the little horn? And I'm going to finish with what Daniel says now. Let's weave all this back together. And he says, but the court shall sit in judgment. Because remember, he's always taking you back to the end. What's the purpose of prophecy? It can alarm us. It informs us, but it reassures us. And so Daniel finishes that. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to who? Somebody say it. The saints. Good job. You guys are listening. The saints. Given to the saints, given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And that's where it lands. All of history lands with the return of Christ, and we reign with him. And that's why God takes Daniel. Remember what we started with? We started with Daniel, and Daniel's like, I am stressed out because it's bad. Our people are, we're in exile. Have you forgotten? We wear the name of of you. And people look at us and say, your God's pretty weak because we overtook you. And God says, there's a time and their time will end. Babylon will end. Guess what? Then the Medes and Persians, their time will end. Then he says another time. It's going to be Greece, but it will end. Then there's going to be this, this other kingdom. We're not certain who, but it's global and bad, but it will end. And in the end, Daniel, in the end, John, in the end, Paul, in the end, church, it's the saints with Christ in their kingdom. And I just want to show you this little bit at the end here, verse 28. This is Daniel. He closes it out by saying this. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, that's interesting because he's living in Babylon I mean, why doesn't he go out and start, hey, Jewish people, God told me this. But he keeps it in his heart. And part of it is the timing of God and all this. Now, later, as an old man, he writes it down and he, 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 he's going to share it. It's going to end up here. Next week, you're going to see where it was opened up and people read it and things that happened because of that. But right now, what I want you to see is there's a moment where he held it in his heart. But I say to you, that's not your job. Your job is not to hold it in your heart. Your job is to go out there and live in a way and say, I've read about the end. And when we look at the chaos and we look at the leaders that don't seem great and we're looking for great leaders, there's only one leader who is going to get it all right. Let me tell you about him. It's Jesus Christ. And he puts within us a reassurance that God is sovereign over all things. And that is why he gives us the prophecy that he does. Heavenly Father, thank you for Daniel. Thank you for his life. And Lord, we just talked today about the Antichrist, and I know we want to look at history and say, who is he? 
But your word doesn't tell us to look for the Antichrist. Your word tells us to look for the appearing of your son, Jesus Christ. That should be the conditions of our heart. We should be oriented in a way that we are looking upward for the return of Christ, not looking the headlines of news, just searching for who, who is this leader, but our focus should be on our sovereign God and his son and his return and the truth for how it ends that we reign with you, as Daniel said, forever and forever and ever. We thank you for that in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and we'll finish as we worship together.